0: Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, where we discuss all things GRC. Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast. My name is Kwame Sasher. I'm the editor at the GRC Institute. And today we are finally having a bit of a debrief um, from the AML and Financial Crimes Congress. And to help us with this debrief, we have our CEO, Naomi Burley, and we have Head of Content Regulatory Compliance from LexisNexis, Kieran Seed. Hi, Kieran, how are you doing? And welcome to the podcast.
1: I'm doing very, very well. Thank you so much for having me.
0: So, a bit of a debrief um, on the Congress, but we're gonna focus, I guess, because your presentation was on sanctions, uh, we're gonna have a bit of a sanctions focus, but I thought it'd be interesting to sort of just, because we're all attendees of the, the Congress, to get a sense of what you, Naomi and Kieran, you know, what were, those, were there any standout moments from any of the sessions that you were able to attend from the Congress that stuck with you? Um, maybe we'll start with you, Kieran.
1: Sure, <laughs> like the kickoff one. Look, that oh, that is that's somehow a curlier question than actually trying to deal with the complexity of sanctions. To be honest, just how many amazing sessions there were on the day. Look, I loved participating in in the Congress, not just for you know getting the opportunity to present alongside such an eminent group of of SMEs, but you know being part of that engaged community of compliance and risk professionals and exploring those challenges and financial crimes as well as technical solutions. I'll be transparent, say I didn't have the opportunity to, to attend all of the sessions. Um, but one that, that did stand out for me was the, the session by um, Neil Jeans on uh enhanced customer due diligence. I really enjoyed that, you know, looking into an AML control area that is so risk-based and benchmarking business practice and approaches to you know assist in achieving compliance. I, I really, really did enjoy that. You know, and and to you know enhanced due, due diligence and KYC to, to highlight Alice's session after uh, the slot that I was in, you know, really do need more attention in a period with such high intensity sanctions activity to keep that focus on sanctions. Um, the the sessions and the Congress as a whole, they really did highlight to me the importance of the, you know, the specificity and the practicality of the AML compl- compliance framework, which is something that, you know, we take back to our own um, regulatory compliance portfolio moving forward as we you know build our content innovation. It was really, really valuable in that context.
2: It is a really specific field, isn't it, Kieran? It's um we've noticed with a lot of uh, compliance professionals who are having to step into this because it's become part of their responsibilities or they're stepping into an AML role but usually because it's been encompassed into their responsibilities that it is a different way of thinking the risk criteria is different it's not just your internal risks anymore um, yeah and there there are lots of nuances and things that only experience teach you um, so yeah. it's a really tough one to take on board and get up to full speed very quickly in. So yes, no. I was going to Bag's Neil's session as well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Read your mind.
2: Because um, because I did have a number of the other speakers go, oh, oh, I'm on the same program as Neil Jeans. Oh, that's a bit nerve wracking. <laughs> so it has got a bit of a reputation. But I did, you know, I love the way Neil breaks it down into a very logical, be really your criteria and although the all-encompassing term that was said uh you know if there was a dollar for every time it was said we would have made an immense profit on the day it's a risk-based approach um it's articulating the criteria around that risk and he was very good at that you know you reach a trigger point here you know you agree that this is your trigger point and then you do xyz so it he made it very, very logical, something that's very, very complex, very, very logical. And I think that's what's missing in in a lot of the risk-based approach by organisations. They don't understand what the risk is. They don't understand where they should have a trigger point or a criteria around things. And I think there's some grasping at straws with grabbing, you know, third-party technology solutions, not to badmouth them. They're probably great solutions, but hoping it'll solve the problem for them as opposed to them putting the thinking in. Um so I thought Neil broke down the thinking really, really nicely, um, you know that process, and I think that that's the process people need to to go through. But yeah, sanctions, um people have not stopped talking about the sanctions session since the Congress, so um, so it's obviously a very, very, very hot topic.
0: Uh, so obviously we had multiple streams, which is why sorry, Kieran, I didn't attend your session because I attended a, another session in the other stream. That's okay, I'm not offended. But Naomi, uh, what was the idea between having these these two streams on the day? What what did you hope to achieve?
2: The the idea is because we know, as I said before, there's lots of people coming in. We are trying to fill the body gaps out there in the workforce for people having to undertake AML responsibilities and build a framework for their organisations around this. And we know that organisations are having a lot of trouble recruiting people in, so they'll bring in people who know the business and then try and teach them AML, if that makes sense. And we're a part of that. So we've seen that happening. So we thought, well, in the past, we've tried to build a Congress that sort of sits in the middle for everybody. And so if you haven't got a lot of experience, you'll just have to swim really hard to keep up. And if you have got a lot of experience, maybe use it as a refresher, but it doesn't meet your full needs. So by dividing it into the two streams, what we tried to do was meet the needs of both markets that we knew we had sitting in the room. And I did prep all the people in Stream 1. I said, oh, look, because we've got this loyal audience who've been coming for years and years, they might not pick Stream 1. I hope you don't mind only having like three people in your session. And lo and behold, half the audience went to Stream 1 and half stayed in Stream 2 for everything we did. So this is something we want to build on for next year. It means we've got to get double the speakers. So it was really hard with us having to change the date. So thank you again, Kieran, for coming to the party on sanctions because... As we know, it is the hot topic. Everyone loved the session and got an immense amount of value out of it. So it was, really, it was really useful to have the two streams because there are a lot of people who are coming into sanctions and it is day one on the job for sanctions. They've always had a subject matter expert or it hasn't. they thought, oh, that doesn't really apply to us. Our risk is very low. We won't, you know, we'll just keep an eye on it, but we don't need to know it in depth. And all of a sudden, everyone needs to know it in depth.
0: Yeah, excellent. And I guess just sort of adding on to that question, Naomi, on just that sanctions piece alone, because obviously Kieran had his piece, and then we had um Garth. Gavin Cole. Gavin, <laughs> what is why? Who's Garth? I don't know. Um. um yeah. So we d- we had these two different streams on sanctions, and obviously you talked about the sort of fifty-fifty split almost between the stream one and stream two. What, what what do you think the value there for sanctions was really?
2: Look, You know, Gavin was coming from the point of view that if you've been to the Congress before, he ran a session two years ago and he did a little bit of the introduction, here's some of your source points. And he was highlighting, you know, everything that has come to pass with the relationship with China and internationally. Um, so he did highlight all of that. So it really was a continuation of that story and where are the things you need to watch for. Um, and and it was driven towards the audience who Has a framework in place and who just wants to make sure they have their fingers on all the really important pulse points they need to have them on.
0: So, Kieran, um, coming back to you really your session Stream 1 was sort of that really foundational set of things and I was kind of wondering um, when I got to listen to the recording did you actually get to say everything you wanted to say in that space was how did you condense all the information in that small space or was there just so much more that you wanted to add that you couldn't?
1: Oh look I think I even said during the session that there's things here which I were going to say I don't have the time to say go and do your own homework, that <laughs> um, there is a lot more to be done in this area. Look, it, it was definitely a challenge, um, but the preparation phase was a really enjoyable one for me because it really gave me the opportunity to re-explore that area and to consider the question that we grapple with in the the IRC content team on a daily basis. How do we take this, this complex requirement in an overlapping regulatory area, condense it, interpret it, make it easier to understand and to to practically apply it. I would emphasize that point you just made. It was a foundational session or a you know a 101 of sanctions compliance. To to properly implement a sanctions compliance program and to assess risks and risk manage appropriately, you're going to need a lot more than 45 minutes. So I guess, you know, if there were things I would highlight in more detail, probably the first one would be the one that I talked about in the session as being not having time to do, which is the technical exercise of, you know, teasing out the you know key and repeated terms across the different sanctions regimes what's what's a sanctioned supply of uh, export sanctioned goods what does it mean to provide a sanctioned service what's a controlled asset you know, all very technical questions that require a level of interpretation and and legal advice to properly articulate and you know and that's without even examining what that means business to business and this is this is not a podcast for you know this podcast isn't a forum for this for that either <laughs> um you know i'm not going to start reading legislation to everyone but to, you know, re- re- to reiterate the general point if you're you know engaged in sanctions compliance re- review those definitions used under the legislation that create our two main types of sanctions regimes and to assess your risk in the context of those definitions and i think the other main point would be you know really teasing out the boundaries of those major overseas sanctions regimes you know who are the the regulators who are the government departments what do they do where do you go for questions and in that context i probably emphasize a bit more the point about extraterritoriality. this is something i did allude to a bit during the workshop but it's something that should be explored in detail we look at the example that a lot of the recent Russia-related directives coming out of the U.S. Specifically, they are quite wide-reaching. You know, extending to you know, part if you're looking at it from the what they cover, you know, parties that are subject to U.S. jurisdiction wherever they happen to be located. So, if you're a foreign company that has a a branch or a subsidiary in the U.S. or you do some kind of business in the U.S., so they can even reach parties that are not located in territorially in the U.S., such as foreign entities that are processing payments in US dollars through US banks. This extraterritorial reach gets you know, recast all the time through licenses, guidance. So what it, basically, what it means in practice for businesses is constantly changing. So it's very important to understand in particular how those overseas regulators sanctions activities, how they're undertaken, as depending upon the nature of your business operations, you might actually get caught by the breadth of those provisions overseas as well.
0: Yeah, sure. Um, And the other thing... I think
2: that's one of the big surprises, isn't it, Kwame, that the number of members who have been surprised by it applying to them, um, all the stuff that's happening in Russia and Ukraine has had an impact in areas you wouldn't have thought of before that. Once upon a time, it was just making sure you didn't transfer funds through your bank to that person, and now it's a whole other ballgame.
0: Yeah, and then, of course, dealing with that complexity of, you know, oligarchs have had a lot of time to sort of... Very cleverly hide their funds in many myriad of ways. so how do you identify that that UBO question just keeps popping up, doesn't it yeah, so the, the other thing I wanted to sort of throw at you Kieran and it's a question that someone threw at you in the session, and it really stuck with me, I know there's no absolute answer to this, but you know if someone ultimately, is there a place in an organization where sanctions should sit um, or sanctions compliance should sit with the organization? is there like an ideal spot or like the best? possible decision you can make?
1: Uh, look, I mean, I think even given the benefit of time, I'd probably give a similar answer to the the very fluffy answer that I gave during the session, <laughs> uh, which is that there isn't really an ideal place because it's going to depend upon the nature of your organization. How big is your compliance team? Where does AML sit within that? What's What is the risk to your business and going forward of being involved in Sanctions activity sanctioned activities, you know, and what those look like today. Um, you know sanctions overlaps most obviously with AML and the AML program. So in that context, particularly if you've got a big AML compliance team, it could sit there. But given the volume of sanctions activity, you know, and this is going back to the best practice point that we talked about uh, with OFAC, you know you might look to set up a dedicated team that is dedicated to sanctions monitoring which collaborates with AML on KYC due diligence other processes um, you know that's one of the key elements that comes out of that best practice compliance program framework that, that OFAC set up includes appointing a dedicated sanctions compliance officer in that uh, to, to look after that program, and that also means allocating adequate, re- adequate resources to, you know, other compliance units that aren't specifically sanctions to assist in that implementation. Keeping in mind, of course, that you know your broader secondary compliance framework that relates to sanctions but is not specifically talking about sanctions. That's going to require engagement with other teams. So you're going to have to talk to your privacy officer and your privacy team about retention of personal information where that arises in the context of sanctions activities. and if you're a an import or export business, any export controls or sanctioned imports, you're going to be you know looking at penalties under customs legislation as well. So you're going to need to talk to logistics and supply chain management to properly execute. So it's not just it can't stay in the one place. It's going to need to have involvement from the broader business as well. So what so short answer, where should it sit? You know best practice answer is its own team. But like most of compliance, it's going to need to be a collaborative exercise with different phases of AML workflow, risk management, and, you know, that broader compliance framework like privacy and data protection.
0: Okay. Yeah, excellent. So I guess the real thing is just avoid those information silos and have those open lines of communication.
1: Absolutely, and that's like the, the, the best practice, even in a business setting. Break down the information silos, have that collaboration, the interlink, interlinking communication of workflow and understanding where you make a decision over here, you know, what what impact that has on this other team over here that's supervising something that's specific but is related to the nature of your operations as well.
0: And, and throwing this question out to both uh, Kieran and Naomi, i um, Based on your experience, businesses that you're talking to and Naomi with members that you've been speaking to, has there been a common trend in where maybe people have been thinking where sanctions should sit or where where sanctions is getting placed generally, or is it pretty diverse?
2: Members are telling me that it's been battered to the AML team. So it's not like they've appointed someone, they've just said, Someone needs to deal with this, and you seem like the logical team so that that's kind of what we're being told um, and because I don't know where they'd recruit someone from <laughs>
1: okay.
2: yeah what are you seeing Kieran?
1: yeah, and look, it's I, honestly, it's probably much the same, and I think when we look at the the financial crime bundle, it's mainly going to be. The AML team looks after it broadly, so sanctions is going to get lumped in with that broader financial crime compliance set. So I, I think it's going to be much the same experience, uh, even even if we say that proactively looking into the future, having a dedicated sanctions compliance officer would be a way to go. You know, invariably. As I said, AML is going to be the the starting point, particularly since that's where the the teams are quite robust and there's a lot of resources in them. But as we've very clearly seen recently, with the volume of activity that's gone through, it's not necessarily going to be within the capability and the capacity of those existing AML teams to to deal with that proactively.
2: Yeah, yeah, completely agree. The the volume and complexity is, is they're going to need more resources around. But I guess it's been thrown there because some of the simpler in comparison, comparatively simple sanctions work is around knowing who your customers are and where the funds are going to and from and those kinds of things, which is in the wheelhouse of, of your AML team um, to start out with. But then flowing out from there, yeah, there's a whole lot of other complex areas um, that are, that you're going to need advice on it or just school yourself up very,
1: very quickly.
0: So in that face of frequency and volume uh, here and and in... What are some of the challenges that you think organizations are having to sort of build a successful sanctions compliance regime
1: Hmm. well a lot of the challenges boil down to the same key themes that you know what are the general compliance challenges sanctions of course has its own challenges and we've articulated some of that already but you know there's going to be those broader perennial challenges that you know you can kind of align it to for basically any compliance challenge. So you know, firstly, regulatory regimes are becoming increasingly complex. That's the starting point, and that's that holds true for sanctions that does for, you know, many different aspects of, of regulatory compliance. I think I made the point, well, I emphasised the point quite heavily, I think, during the workshop that your sanctions framework, and I think I've said it again today, your sanctions framework is made up of primary and secondary requirements from disparate legislative areas. Um, and to repeat the point, there's this increased use of ex- extraterritorial powers, which is a feature in the sanction space, but it's already arisen in other areas like privacy under the GDPR, supply chain risk for modern slavery, UK in particular, um, and then you know dealing with bribery and corruption risks in the context of the US's um, the F- the, F- the FCPA. You know they- they're all extraterritorial in nature. So. While that extraterritorial element is one that I would emphasise in the the sanctions context, it is arising in other areas as well and has already done historically. So it should be on the radar of a lot of businesses. Then you've got the cost factor. Um, I've seen a lot of articles of late that are very focused on the cost of compliance, specifically on that financial crimes cost of compliance. I think uh, LexisNexis Risk Solutions, one of our sister companies, they did a true cost of compliance study, which is quite recently released. Um, where I think it was something in the order of fifty billion us dollars. that's the that's the the general the the overall spend in terms of just financial crimes compliance. And if you break that down per institution, that's eleven million dollars annually, just on financial crimes compliance. And that's kind of being driven by you know geopolitical risks, but AML regulation specifically, and you know criminal threats as well. And that's all driving increasing costs and an increase in Sanctions-related activity is going to drive those costs higher as well. And then that kind of leads into that last point, the pace of change. So I think you know, there were only about – I think there were about 100 and something designations across the UK, US and the EU sanctions-related uh, between February and March last year. In the same period this year, it was like two and a half thousand or something. It was some ridiculous order of magnitude greater. So the pace of change and the number of changes to be across has gone up significantly. Uh, And I quote the statistic quite a lot in the RC world, but in the COVID period, we saw the pace of regulatory activity sitting about three to five times higher than pre-pandemic. Now, a lot of that is driven by COVID specific stuff uh, and that's dissipated to a certain extent, but the new normal, does seem to be a heightened level of regulatory activity. So there's an increased pace of change. Things go through parliament, get enforced much more quickly than they did in the past. and There's more activity going on and that just increases the amount of touch points that organisations have in terms of responding in their compliance um, frameworks.
0: Yeah, sure. But I think you've already answered my next question in many ways, I was gonna ask you to our entities trying to respond to this, but I think clearly they are trying to respond to it. I guess the question is, are they responding to it in an effective way? Are they still struggling with, um, I guess, having the right tools and the right options? Like, what what are you seeing out there?
1: I mean, I might I, I might say, Stephen, I've kind of gone off on a bit of a tangent there, Naomi. What do you think in terms of, like, <laughs> from the, the questions you're getting from the membership? Does it, do you feel like they're, they're responding in a proactive way now? Because what I, what I was thinking with that is, well, certainly there's a there's, there's a response. There's a response at the moment, but it feels like a it's a it, it is a it's a reactive response at the moment. So it's like okay, there's yeah. all these sanctions activities that are coming through. We have to do something now, um, but it's still very much a, re- a reactive response. Uh,
2: I would I would have to agree because it's well, it, it, you know, it is one of those things where um, despite you know Gavin's presentation 2 years ago I'm not sure that you can persuade an organization to proactively anticipate you know international political change at the magnitude that we've seen so part of the part of the challenge is that quite often to get the spend and to get action within your organization they have to feel that the risk is tomorrow or has happened or is very, very, very likely, you know, so if it's sitting in the amber, they're not as easily persuaded. So there's part of that agreement that's got to happen in compliance, unfortunately, to get action from your organisation. But, I mean, in terms of the growing maturity, our members obviously – we're a bit skewed because they've been working on their professional development. They deliberately engage with us because they want to be proactive and keep their knowledge up. So they're a little bit different, but I know from members who have shifted organisations, they move into an organisation that thought they had a really great AML and sanctions program. And our experienced member looks at it and goes, yeah, not really. So, and and that sort of correlates with the feedback we get back from Austrac, is that they're not seeing the, the traction on the maturity and i think it's because there are there aren't enough people who have the experience in that space out there to able to keep building on it so they might just get it implemented and then they move on you know they're poached by someone else and then that organisation it sits there for a little while until someone again experienced comes in but if they get someone inexperienced they'll come in and go oh yeah you've got all your you've got all your bits of part a and part b but they're not looking at the quality or the maturity or Or indeed, how well set up it is to be proactive. It's only working on the previous risks. And, and, you know, they they wouldn't be able to test the controls and test that they're still valid because they might not even understand the parameters under which they were set up. So it's a little bit difficult, I think, out there for organisations to build that maturity and get to that proactive stage due to a number of reasons.
0: Yeah, sure. Well, last question thrown out to you guys. We've, We've painted this this problem, these challenges. And now we have to give our listeners some practical solutions or I think they'll feel leave this podcast feeling very depressed. So maybe I'll start with you, Naomi. What are some practical solutions that you think members can start thinking about in this space?
2: Look, like I said, lots of our members are on the ball with this. They're they're engaging. They're seeing what reg tech they can use to help. They engage with our sponsors like LexisNexis, so they are continually developing themselves. And I would just encourage anyone who's not a GRCI member who hasn't thought about that, that this is a space where, because of the constant change, your professional development is a constant thing, and it's not something that you should be feeling self-indulgent about. It is something that your organisation needs you to do to keep up to date. You need to connect with the source information as well. So, um, you know, even even we can only keep up with stories at a certain speed. So if you're with sanctions, you need to be um, on the ball with DFAT. You need to be connecting with government sources. Like, Like Kieran said, something will get changed the next day. You can't wait for GRCI or the Fin Review to report on that. You need to be connected directly into the source or have great legal advice being provided to you. Um, so it, it's a lot about you being proactive to lead your organisation to being proactive. Um, but there, there is, I think, the other thing is getting really clear on your criteria, bringing your organisation on board with understanding that these risks are real. They sound, um, they sound like something from a movie, and they sound completely theoretical, but they are actually very real. And track has an expectation that you will meet those challenges. Karen.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I I would definitely reiterate the the point around proactivity. Um, well, in a in a short term and a long term sense, I think is a, a good point as well because particularly since we expect there to be you know, more regulation, not just in sanctions but more broadly, it's important to look proactively and to really engage your horizon scanning function to think about what's coming next and what do I need to build up. So when I talk about things like OFAC's best practice framework for setting up a sanctions compliance program, obviously that's the US, it's not something that directly, you know, aligns to the regulatory framework in Australia, but being treated as best practice means that it's more than likely at some point, you know, we're moving, we might start to move in that direction. So if you're setting up something that is best practice in that sense, then you are well prepared for what may come next. And that applies not just to sanctions, that applies to other areas where we are moving towards a potentially more heavily regulated space, crypto, ESG, areas where they're not specifically regulated in a huge amount of detail, but looking at the experiences overseas, looking at Europe, which is where a lot of this does always comes from, you know, you can see the movement towards that being more heavily regulated. So looking proactively at what comes next and starting to align to that. And for sanctions, as I've said before, what are those essential components of sanctions compliance? Having the management commitment, having risk assessment done specifically on sanctions risk and having that, you know, iterated, having the internal controls in place that align to it, testing and auditing that whole framework and then training relevant people specifically on sanctions. that's what's all specified under that, um, that app, that uh, OFAC framework. The other key piece, and Naomi, you've already touched upon it, is to understand the role of RegTech, not to rely upon it, but understand the role of RegTech, how it can support you and empower you to, um, to, to achieve Um, compliance in the day-to-day. Now, there are a lot of reg tech players out there that, you know, can help with specific aspects of AML compliance and risk management and, you know, what platforms you use and the extent to which you use them is going to depend upon the nature of your business. At LexisNexis, you know, we're a global business that specializes in legal and compliance information and we've got a team, a global team of content experts that support our regulatory compliance solution, which is specifically focused on being a solution for obligations registers and providing that alerting capability on reg change. We also do have a uh, sanctions module in market for Australia, which we actually collaborated with um, Andrew Ham on developing, as one of the um, presenters during the Congress as well. And uh, we, we also have a sanctions module that's available in the US, which is aligned to OFAC, and of course, Broadly, AML compliance in Australia and, other, and seven other jurisdictions as well. And we're adding content all the time because regulation is ever-changing. So, um, if you're interested, I would definitely encourage those of you that are listening to you know join us on that content development journey and to you know get in touch if you do want to learn more.
2: Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um... Kieran, as well, about yet yeah, continuing learning. But your point earlier about the international trends, that was something that Karen Nietzsche raised in her session as well. And I thought that was really spot on is that um, this is an international issue. Uh, And so just sort of sitting in Australia and waiting for the Australian government to respond is really not proactive. And the way to do it is to look outward at what's happening internationally in those countries that are affected. And as you pointed out, in Europe, they're they're making big inroads into a lot of requirements around ESG and around a number of other things. Um, And whether that reaches Australia or not, you know, the trend is if there's, There's regulation occurring because the market hasn't responded fast enough to satisfy the regulator. That tells you something. And whether or not our regulators take it on board, it means that there's a potential weakness there. And they've decided, you know, that's a control from a regulatory point of view. They've decided to take control of that situation. So you should be looking at how your organisation is set up and be a bit proactive about it.
0: And for our listeners, um, any of those things that were mentioned by Kieran, we'll make sure to have as many links as possible to any of that so you can have a further conversation if you would like to. Oh, thank you so much, Naomi. Thank you so much, Kieran, for making time this afternoon to have a bit of a chat. Um, as usual, this chat always runs a bit longer than we plan because it's just so interesting. And just like Kieran's presentation, I'm sure we still haven't covered everything.
1: There's still a much broader <laughs> conversation to be had.
2: I know you could do it like a three day, a three-day conference minimum on sanctions alone.
1: If you really wanted to properly cover it, yeah, Yeah. that would probably, that might do it. That might do it. Might, (laughs) might.
2: But then the next day, everything would change. Yeah, and
1: it'll change. Yep. All the resources, throw them out the window, straight. start again.
0: This podcast was a production of the Governance, Risk and Compliance Institute, and the music was produced by Rob Neary.